0: Good morning from me. My name's Peter. I'm one of the pastors here. It's good that you're at church. Uh, Today we're going to crack into uh, our normal church rhythms. Uh, Literally, it was two years ago, uh, in at the beginning of February that we we started working through the Gospel of John, and we've made it to the end of chapter nine so far. So uh, yeah, you're welcome. Um, It's um, we're doing well. We're making good time, I guess. But for those who are new to the church here, most of the time we preach through books of the Bible. This is kind of the spine for us and then uh, we do things outside of that. One of the things that I find curious uh, is uh, team names, sporting team names, mascots. Uh, I find it fascinating about the the, the way they come up with a name uh, and the mascot that they kind of attach to it. Uh, there's a whole bunch of them that make sense. In the NRL, you've got the Raiders, the Canberra Raiders. You've got the Storm, Melbourne Storm. You've got the Cowboys. And it all kind of connects to kind of the game of rugby league. But then you've got, like, team names that just don't seem to have much connection at all. You've got the New South Wales Waratahs. Like, what the heck is that? It's like a flower. <laughs> we're playing rugby and, like, we're flowers playing rugby. That's what we're doing. Um, the Queensland, like... Reds, like red, red. Like, I know the Queensland's Marine, but it's like, okay, that's scary. I guess, I mean, if you get stabbed or something and there's all red on the ground, that's a bad thing, but let's let's not go there. Uh, This next one is one of the worst team names in my view, and I'm not going to go there about why it's called this, the uh, the Cleveland Browns. Just think about that for a moment. Uh, It's a problem for my imagination. You've got numbers. You've got the San Francisco 49ers, you've got the Philadelphia 76ers. Now, here's a couple more that I think are interesting and one of them is a South Sydney Rabbitohs. Now, rabbits, let's just think about rabbits for a moment, all right? Plague proportions, irritating, very small. They're quick, they have a good step, but where I live, they're roadkill, all right? Uh, flattened all over the road. Now, maybe may be quick, but they're stupid, all right? So many times I'll go home and there'll be some rabbits on the, uh, the footpath eating some lovely green grass, and when I approach, they decide they're going to make a dash in front of the car, all right? Some of them get to go home and tell the story to their kids, and some of them don't. The Queensland Reds, their mascot is a koala, a koala. A koala, slow, easily killed, snorts like a pig and is on the road to extinction. A koala. Well, um, this got me thinking, right? I just thought, well, okay, I want to know if there's, is there a team that's called the such and such sheep, right? I thought, that's interesting. Well... There was, actually, back uh, in uh, uh, about 10 years ago, the the under-20 soccer team from New Zealand was called uh, the sheep, Um, New Zealand sheep, which kind of makes sense. But you notice, one of the things you have to do with sheep, right, is you kind of have to make them be different to what they actually are. Like, that's a cool-looking sheep. Sheep don't look cool, right? They never look cool, and they don't have skills at soccer, But this one apparently does. Some of you might go, hey, hey, I've got one for you. It's the LA Rams. All right? You can see the horn in there for the LA Rams, the NFL team. Kind of makes sense with the nature of the game. But at the end of the day, uh, even taking these two into account, people are just not rushing to call their sporting teams the sheep. There's actually a lot of good reason for that, because sheep are weak and they're prone to do crazy things. So I remember a mate of mine telling a story about his daughter who worked on a sheep farm for a while and one of her jobs was to get on the motorbike and ride out to where the sheep were because it was a hot day. She would ride out to where the sheep were because they'd, they'd wander away from the water and then they'd get thirsty and instead of actually wandering back to the water they'd just sit down. And, if, and this, uh, this lady's job was to go out, pick the sheep up, lay them over the top of the fuel tank of the motorbike and bring them back to where the water was otherwise they would just lie there and die of thirst that's sheep right when um when you go to the bible we find out that God calls us sheep uh, it's a long-standing name that that God has given um, to uh, to his people uh, and there's heaps that we could say about sheep and how they operate and lots of people have said these things But today, I want to focus on one thing about sheep, because the passage that we're looking at today focuses on this. Um, Sheep are vulnerable. Um, There's there's danger that sheep face. I mean, to put it very simply, sheep are a prey species, not a predator species, right? No one goes walking in the bush scared that a sheep is going to get them, right? Right? This is the reason why we get sheep, we grow them up, we shear them and we eat them, right? They're down and lots of things eat them, right? They're down toward the bottom of the food chain, they don't fight, they're normally pretty docile animals. Sure, the rams during breeding season can fire up and they can headbutt some people. Um, But that's kind of about all that they do. Um, Sheep don't stir up a fuss, they're easily... Picked off, especially if you're in Israel with bears and lions around. Sheep have no significant defensive capability. Uh, not really anything at all. Do you know what they do? Does anyone know what they do when a, a sheep is in danger? They run. That's pretty much it. <laughs> they run. And have you ever seen a sheep run? You know why lots of them get eaten, all right They don't run very well, and they don't run very fast, and they tend to all run together. Wherever they're going, they don't even think about that most of the time. One of the things that Jesus is saying, and we're going to look at this today, is that when He calls the sheep, He's saying to us that we're very susceptible to danger. That's what He's saying to us. And this is really clear in the Scripture today. So we're going to read that. If you've got a Bible with you, we'd love for you to open that up. We're going to read John chapter 10, starting at verse 1. We're going to read the first 10 verses. We use the, uh, the NIV version here, just the latest one that's out. John chapter 10, starting at verse 1. Good for you to bring Bibles to church um, so that you can follow along and think about things as we go. <clears throat> Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, Jesus is having this conversation with the Pharisees and we're almost... It's almost as if we're getting the opportunity to eavesdrop on this conversation Jesus is having with the religious leaders. Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate... Now, just, just to clue you in here, the sheep pen was, was kind of rough stone, solid walls. It was a place that the sheep could actually be put so that they'd be safe from predators. Um, and, and basically, the sheep, the flock of sheep would go in and they would come out from this pen. Um, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate... But climbs in by some other way as a thief and a robber, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens a gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out and When he he's brought out his own he goes ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger, in fact they'll run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. It's a parable, it's a story that Jesus told. Uh, verse 6 is a kind of a narrator's comment and Jesus used this figure of speech but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them now there's an important thing before we jump into verse 7 that you just need to know is Jesus is using these metaphors of pen and shepherd um, and, and you just need to know that it's not a linear story that Jesus is telling and so the next bit builds on the previous bit all right because he starts to shift things around a little bit. It's more like he's had one dash in there they didn't understand, so he's going to take another dash from another angle. All right? Um, verse 7, Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. <clears throat> Which is why at that point you used to be going, I thought he just said he was going through the gate. It's like, that's, that's the point. Jesus is coming at it from another angle. Verse 8, All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate, and whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So we're going to look at three things today. We're going to look at the danger, the safety, and the effect. Let's have a look at the danger. You can see in verses 1, 8, and 10 there, the examples of that. Jesus is telling people what the dangers that face sheep are. Here they are. Very truly, i tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is what? A thief and a robber. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. The thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. You've got this sense here with thief and robber is that there's people that use subtlety and trickery. They use violence sometimes and they plunder. Um, You know who they are by the way they get in. If they climb over the wall, it's like straight up. It's like they're not the legit... Real deal. They haven't come through the gate. And the response of the sheep is no, we're not going to listen to you. Now, they only bring death and destruction. They're only interested in exploiting the sheep, not the welfare of the sheep. Now, the big question at this point is uh, who is Jesus talking about? Well, I'm happy to have a longer conversation with you later on, but I think it's really hard to avoid the idea that Jesus is actually talking about the religious leaders at this point in time. They had control, they used it for their own ends, and, and they could be violent. I mean, uh, John 8 verse 59, they picked up stones and they were going to stone Jesus just on the spot. Um, they actually sound a lot like what Ezekiel prophesied about in Ezekiel 34. We're going to end up reading most of this section out of Scripture, and I'd love for you to just follow it on the screen as we go through, because I think you're going to see the issue here. Um, this is the first three verses. Word of the Lord came to me. Son of man prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? He says, Yes. But you eat the curds. You clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. Now, one way you can put this is they, they fed on the sheep instead of feeding the sheep right? That's what they did, they fed on the sheep instead of feeding it. Ezekiel goes on, you've not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured, you've not brought back the strays or searched for the lost, you've ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and when they were scattered they became food for all the wild animals. Just bad leaders, just scattering people and putting them in harm's way. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and looked on on every high hill, they were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. That's where you, if you're one of the people that God's about to talk to, you put your skates on and you try and get out of there as quick as you care, because it's not going to be good. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered. And has become food for all the wild animals and because my shepherds did not search my flock but cared for themselves rather than for my flock dot 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 we'll come back to it later. Now use the following term broadly but uh, here's the reality folks and it's not just a reality back in Jesus's day or in the Old Testament it's reality in our day. Some church leaders don't feed the sheep they feed on the sheep. Unfortunately this is one of the themes throughout the Scriptures Um, You know, it wasn't, let's be honest, it wasn't that many years ago that we had the Royal Commission into Institutional Child Abuse. And what came out of that? Well, that there were a lot of churches with a lot of leaders in those churches who had been abusing kids. It's disgusting. It's repulsive. The leaders, these leaders worked for their own ends, not the protection and welfare of the sheep. They fed on the sheep. They didn't feed the sheep. And the wounds from this are very, very deep. This is one of the fearful realities of leading in a church where people open up their hearts and parts of their lives (laughs) because when people get mishandled in churches, when they've opened up this part of their lives, the wounds are very, very deep. Those parts of people's lives are very, very fragile I remember a number of years ago, I, um, hearing a story of a woman who was um, sexually interfered with by their youth pastor. It was in the States. And it was impossible for her, or it seemed impossible for her, to disconnect what her youth leader did to her and who God is. Like that that connection was so tight in her mind, she just, she couldn't dis connect those and the reality is that when churches run well people open up their lives and trust in people in the church and they can be unfortunately at some times can be let down and of all the things that keep would keep me awake at night this is probably the biggest one the thought of people in the church getting hurt haunts me sometimes there are many of you this morning who know what I'm talking about. Maybe not specifically with, uh, in abuse or sexual areas, but many of you know um, that bad things can happen in churches, right? Uh, it was only a short time ago that someone on Sunday morning here, because um, this is the tension, right? um and i'm just i'm just being open this is the tension that leaders in restoration church and every church live in is that scripture says really clearly in hebrews chapter 13 that you're meant to submit to your leaders in the lord and and you that's what god wants you to do right and i'm not saying that you submit to them when they're hurting you and when they're a thief and a robber right but there's a rightness about submitting to your spiritual leaders and i was saying this to a lady uh, a short time ago and she came back to me and she goes you don't know the spiritual abuse that i've undergone now i can imagine uh, because i've lived long enough and i've been on the planet and heard stories about churches uh for long enough to imagine what that could be like um you know some of you even right now, you're just going, really? Like, is Peter saying this? I, that's going to be the end of it. Like, everyone's just going to go, no, we're not going to buy into what's going on in the church. And hang with me, because I've got a few, few more things to say. If you're someone who's like, I'm never going to be open again because of the stuff that's happened to me uh, in church, I, I just want to give you a little bit more, more nuancing about the kind of hurt that can happen in churches. Uh, because not everything that happens in churches that hurts people falls under the category of thieving and robbing right? Not everything falls under that category. So, let me give you three categories um, of of hurt that can happen in the church, um, finishing with thieving and robbing. Here's the first one, uh, a lack of wisdom. This one, I think, is pretty straightforward. Church leadership can do things that aren't wise and it's not as though they're gunning for people or they're feathering their own nest. They just make dumb decisions sometimes. Um, I I get to talk to lots of different leaders and and pastors in churches. And, you know, sometimes I hear some really unwise things that happen in churches. And I'm not talking about, they're not like evil. They're not like abuse or anything. It's not not in that category. It's like, don't do that. (laughs) That's a very unwise thing to do. Um, you know one of my lines to uh, to these people is uh, there's going to be some really really hard decisions in the church when you're in leadership so you better make sure that you get the easy ones right right because you just can't afford to get the easy ones wrong and make them hard because you're going to have hard ones that come along You know, when you do things which are unwise, it's inevitable that people will get hurt. It happens in the church and it happens in your life too and in your family and at your workplace. It's just how it rolls. And I'll be honest with you that at Restoration Church, we have done things that are unwise over the years and it's hurt people. And we do our best and we work really hard to be wise about the things that we do, but there are some times where we haven't been wise and it's hurt people and we're sorry about that. We are very sorry about that. It was never our intention to do that. Uh, it was our intention to help people, not to hurt them. But we were unwise sometimes and, uh, and people got hurt. Here's the second one. Sinning. <clears throat> this one's pretty straightforward. Everyone's imperfect. It's the bottom line. Can't get away from it. I sinned this week. You can be disappointed about that. All right. You sinned this week. We all sinned this week. We can all be disappointed with each other and with ourselves. Um, when you sin, you always hurt someone else and you either do it by omission or commission. Either there's something that you should have done for someone else, that would have been loving that you didn't do, or the thing that you did actually hurt someone else. It's the same with leaders. Leaders sin too and when leaders sin, they hurt people. Why? Because when you sin, you hurt people. It's just how it works. And it's the same with church members. When church members sin um, in the church, it will likely hurt the leaders. And I've seen plenty of that as well. And I'm, I'm not talking about repetitive, strategic, kind of medium to long-term kind of sinning here. I'm just talking about blowing out and, uh, and doing something that's wrong. Those are your first two categories. The last one is the one that I think Jesus is talking about. And in fact, it's very clear that Jesus is talking about this, thieving and robbing. There's intentionality about this. There's some kind of strategy to it. It's self-oriented. It's a feeding on the sheep rather than feeding of the sheep. What's the hope for um, for people who've been hurt by the by the church? Well, I want to go back to Ezekiel. 34, and we're going to read um, most of the rest of the chapter. <clears throat> Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I'm against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. Leaders in the church in this day who feed on the sheep rather than feeding the sheep who rob and steal, who who don't care about the the welfare of the sheep, God is against them. And I'll hold them accountable for my flock. I'll remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I'll rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. This is the thing. God's against them and they're against them in their leadership. It's not that God doesn't love them that there isn't the possibility of repentance and restoration it's like no he's against them in the position that they're in so what is what is the hope for this is what the sovereign lord says i myself will search for my sheep and look after them is that not the most sublime thing that you could think of if you are someone here today that's been hurt by leaders in the church you just need to know that god takes this personally and he will come for you personally as a shepherd looks after his scattered flock, when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. Because this is what happens in the church when you have bad leaders like thieves and robbers it scatter sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. So I'll bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries and I'll bring them into their own land. This happened with the nation of Israel. I will shepherd the flock with justice. I will save my flock and they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David. Is Ezekiel talking about David being resurrected? No, he's not. The future David, the the Jesus, the the Messiah that was to come, who was like the perfect David. And he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Look at what God's going to do. I will make a covenant of peace with them and rid the land of savage beasts so that they may live in the wilderness and sleep in the forests in safety. Isn't that beautiful? This prophecy is fulfilled in the person of Jesus, and Jesus is the one who's speaking In John chapter 10 about who he is. So let's go to the next section, the safety. Think a sheep pen. (laughs) There are sheep in the pen. Someone jumps over the walls and the sheep are startled, they scatter. They're used to the voice of the shepherd. They don't know the voice of this person, so they do what sheep do. They run away. That's what they do. And I just want to say this at this point, and this is just kind of a lead in into this middle point, and I don't want to hang you too much longer. If you're a sheep, then you know what a shepherd sounds like and you know who the strangers are. You know, this is the beauty of what the Lord does, I think, is that even if you're in a church that's, that goes toxic or around some leaders that are toxic, you have this sixth sense that something is wrong. You just go, that that is not a good shepherd. That's not a good under-shepherd, under Jesus. It doesn't sound like Him. There's something else going on. You know, there's a lot of the time in the church that you can tell... Does he sound like Jesus? <laughs> is that the kind of thing Jesus would say? Is that the kind of thing Jesus would do? And you can pick it, right? Um, it, it can be tricky to tell sometimes. Um, but in your gut, <laughs> what Jesus is saying here is you're tuned into a different voice. And when, when, a, when a stranger comes in, you kind of go, that's, that's not quite right. It can take a while to work that out, but that's not quite right. You can tell when leaders are speaking through Jesus. They might even be saying all the right things, but they're going about it the wrong way. They're jumping over the wall, and and, and you're just finding yourself when that stuff's happening. You're just kind of scattering a little bit, even just in, within yourself at the start. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. I don't want to hang around on the negative anymore, because the one who Ezekiel prophesied about has come. Jesus came in person to get the job done and get it done properly. That's what he did. No more delegation. Uh, the true shepherd, you picture it with this uh, this pen, the true shepherd strides up to the gate, just, just stride right on up. And the gatekeeper who's standing there, their job was to let the shepherd in. The true one didn't jump over the wall, just stride, uh, you stride right up to the gate, Jesus does. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. He does that because he's the real deal. There's shepherd's sheep are in there, in that pen. Uh, he has access to them. And the next bit is sublime, <laughs> isn't it? Now, here's, if you want to find something to meditate on for about 20, 30 hours this week, these two verses would be good. That'd be a good start, all right? Sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. There's a couple of things here I just want to point out. <laughs> uh, they know his voice and he calls them by name. Uh, the sheep listen to his voice. Now there's an, there's an initial uh, reality and an ongoing reality here. The initial reality is when you become a Christian. And we know this when we go a little bit further on in John chapter 10 there, Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. Now, God calls you. This is how it works. God calls you to himself. And this happened to me when I was 16, right? Uh, Born the son of a preacher. I heard a lot of things about God. I knew a lot of things about God, but that's all it was. It was just stuff about God. I didn't know God. And it all changed in an instant. There was a moment, and I'm not saying that everyone's got to have this instant conversion story, but this moment, there's this moment where God called me. And it was a weird experience for me, right? Because it just felt like I knew the voice. And it's like, how do you know the voice if you never really listened to it like that before? It's like, well, that's how it works when the shepherd calls you. He calls you and you go, I know that voice. I know it. See, I didn't, I didn't know it because I'd heard it before, but it was familiar. <laughs> Have you had? Has anyone had an experience like that in terms of when you come to faith? It's like God's calling me right now, and that sounds so familiar and so normal, but I've never heard it before. But notice in the verse here, um, it's not just this initial reality of of being called in and being familiar with the voice, there's an ongoing reality as well. Because when I came home from my friend's house where God called me for the first time, and it wasn't an audible voice, he stirred up in my heart to respond to him. When I came back from my friend's house, you know what I wanted to do? I just wanted to read scripture. That's what I wanted to do. And I, I remember, like, one of the first books I started reading was 1 Corinthians. It's like, And it's like, here's this preacher's kid, whose dad did shorter and longer catechisms and the Westminster Confession of Faith for family devotions for years, right? He knew a lot of stuff about God. All of a sudden, he's got this hunger for Scripture. Why? Because the shepherd is speaking. And and it sounds like the shepherd. You know, I remember um, reading the, uh, the prodigal son parable, right? Where the son runs away and wastes all the father's inheritance and he comes, he decides he's going to come back because he's out of cash and that's, that's what kids do when they run out of money, they go back to the parents and the, and the dad runs uh, to welcome him back in. I mean, I read this a parable and, and it, was, it was incredible and it was like, man, it's like, I have never read this before but I had so much. I mean, I went up to my my uh, pastor at the time and I said I still remember his name John he uh, and I said John I said man this this is an amazing story and he went yeah because <laughs> he's got this 16 year old preacher's son coming up and talking about one of the parables that he said over and over but it's different now right because because the shepherd is speaking the shepherd is speaking and, and i tell you something I spend uh, time with the Lord in reading and in prayer every day. And I tell you something, uh, there's, there's some part of it that's kind of a discipline that supports uh, my walk. But I tell you, it is not mostly discipline. I just need to hear the voice of the shepherd. I need to hear what he's got to say to me. I want him to talk to me through scripture and I want to talk to him. That's not the only thing that we see here in this section that is uh it's, it's deeply personal and the other thing that we see is um is this one here and i this is amazing this is sublime back in the day the way that it would work with shepherds is shepherds would have a uh they'd often have a kind of call for a, an individual sheep right? they come to the the gate the gatekeeper would let them in and then they'd that they'd, they'd, they'd call their sheep they'd call their sheep out um but this shepherd goes even further and knows people by name now i struggle to remember people's names and if i've forgotten your name before here's a public apology to just cover over all of that um i i've forgotten uh people's names lots of times and i meet lots of new people and here's here's the thing i know it's really meaningful to remember someone's name all right uh, but I'm terrible at it. So often, here you go, full disclosure, we're all about being honest here, right? I, I write people's names down often when I meet them. I've got a file that is my name's archive so that I can remember it for next time I see them because I I want them to know that they, they matter. And a little while ago, uh, I met a new person on Sunday here, right? And then uh, the next Sunday, I called them by name. And do you know what they said to me? They responded, oh you remembered. God knows your name. When he, when he called you to Himself, it was personal and this is like one of the great fears in the human heart, isn't it? I mean being hated is not cool but at least you're being treated like a person, you're someone to, to be dealt with but uh, being overlooked, being treated as if of no account, to be considered nothing. I've had this thought in the back of my mind, I don't really have it so much anymore, but for much of my Christian life, I've had this thought in the back of my mind that I'm going to get to heaven, there's going to be this great crowd of people worshipping God, and I'm going to get forgotten about or overlooked. You know, when the day that you became a Christian, if you, can, if you know the day, God knows when it happened. But if you know the day when you became a Christian, there wasn't this worldwide altar call and and everyone just on that day just all kind of came forward and God, I don't know, put some kind of Dimeo sticker on your head, giving you a number. It's like, okay, well that's the 1.3 million that came in on that day. He called you by name. He called you by name. And you know what? He still does now. He doesn't forget your name. He called you to follow him, and he still calls you to follow him, and he does it by name. And you need to know something about uh, the way that Jesus does this, and and you can see that uh, right here. He um, he goes on ahead of them. All right. Uh, years ago, a pastor in town uh, said this to me, and it was about pastoring, I thought it was pretty helpful. Uh, He said, uh, you you drive cattle and you lead sheep. And the point is where you're standing, right? Driving is you get behind them, you shove them forward. Leading is you get in front of them, you lead them forward. And you just need to know that Jesus is a leading shepherd. He doesn't have six uh, cattle dogs nipping at your heels. He leads from the front. Uh, he's the shepherd this passage Jesus then doubles back around with us and he tells us that not only is he the shepherd but he's actually the gate too and uh, I just want to have a quick look at that um, briefly and then we'll uh, clean up with the last point point. Um, and we'll be done with this section I'm the gate whoever enters through me will be saved they will come in and go out and find pasture so I want to say this really really clearly There is only one gate to be saved. If you want to be saved, you have to go through Jesus. You can't be saved any other way. Buddha can't save you. Allah can't help you. Krishna can't help you. Tom Cruise can't help you. Anthony Albanese can't help you. Dan Andrews can't help you. And not even your counsellor can help you. No one other than Jesus can save you. There is no other way. You won't ever be saved by anyone or anything other than Jesus. Now the Baha'is might want to say that we're all bits and pieces and when you put them together, you get the whole. But when you hear what Jesus is saying here, he's saying you either go through me and you're saved or you don't go through me and you're not. It's like, it's really simple. You won't get into heaven any other way. Now, I'm not saying, and I'm not advocating that we be hurtful and rude to people who disagree with us, right? But this is the reality. And I didn't say it. Jesus was the one that said it. He said, if you want to be saved, you have to go through Him. And, and some people, probably outside of us, will go, well, that's a pretty narrow thing. It's like, yeah, well, welcome to truth. Right? The very nature of truth is whatever's true is true and everything else is wrong. That's what it's like with any truth. But it's in particularly, it's particularly true when it comes to Jesus. He is the truth, and you have to go through him if you want to get saved. If you're here today and you haven't trusted in Christ, you need to hear this. We don't want you to be lost. And there will be no other way for you to be saved other than trusting in Jesus to forgive you and to cleanse you and to make you right with God. The danger, the safety, the effect. What are the flow-on effects of Jesus being the gate and the shepherd? Well, the first one is this, uh, security. I'm the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved, they'll come in and go out and find pasture. Now, when I was prepping this message, I thought, that's my sons, right? Um, we've, we've got four boys and the oldest two boys can drive now, right? And any parent who's, who's had kids that start to drive just knows they're just not around the house as much anymore, right? But you know what they do? They come in and they go out and they find pasture, right, and the pasture's in the fridge, right, and fast food's really good but it's expensive and the food in the fridge is free, right, and, and the reality is that that the home that, that we're providing, that Angie and I are providing is is stable, I mean, we're all sinners in there but it's stable and there's some security there and we're looking after the rates and we're making sure the house is not leaking and, and that the internet works because that's kind of the, that's that's worse than not having food, Um You know, not having the internet working. Um, We're doing all these things. And I don't even think our kids think about the security that comes that we're providing for them. Right? And the thing is, what you're seeing with Jesus here is that he's the gate and he's the security. So when you go through him into him, what happens is you've just got your security locked in, like you're saved. And now you can just go in and go out whenever you want. If there's something nasty going on, well, you just get back in there. Get back in the pen, in behind him, right? And you know he's with you when you're out of there. And he's actually going to lead you to places where you're going to going to flourish. You're going to find good pasture. Jesus has your back. He's your security. When things are dangerous, know that he's on the job as your shepherd. You're being saved is secure. It won't fail. He won't turn his back on you. You can bank on it. He'll take you to good pasture, places where you'll be nourished. In the end, you won't like anything. That's the cry of the psalmist, isn't it? In Psalm 34.10, the lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord like no good thing. Sure, there's going to be times where it's going to be tough, tough going. But you're locked in. And he has promised to take you to places where you'll be nourished, where there'll be good pasture. It gets uh, even better. There's a second part to um, the effect of Jesus being a shepherd and a gate. And uh, you see it in verse 9 and 10. I'm the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. They'll come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Listen to this next bit. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, this is interesting, right? Because, and I'll just say this, no one ever looks at religious people and thinks they have life to the full. Agreed? You never do. If you look at someone who's, it's about compliance, it's about following the rules, it's about trying to be acceptable to God, it's about trying to be acceptable to other people, that is not life at its best. True? Now, some of you might go, hang on, what, what kind of life is Jesus actually talking here? Is He talking about eternal life because kind of, you know, the fullness of life is not to be had in the here and now. And I grant, I grant that there's some limits um, on this age. Um, you know, is, it, is that life to the full? Is that in the future or is it now? Um, and I just want to say it's now and in the future. How do I know that? Well, John's pretty concerned about life. He likes to talk about life. In John chapter 1, he talks about in Jesus is life itself. If you go right through a few chapters further along, we'll get to it in about 2027. uh, In John 17, that was a joke. uh, John 17, uh, Jesus prays this. John records it. Now, this is eternal life, that they know you. Okay, so when does life start? The minute, the second, you you begin knowing God. And this is the way that we need to think about it. And this is the direction that we need to move. Now, (laughs) I want you to hear me say this, um, and I feel like, I don't have time, but I feel like stopping for about 60 seconds so that you just think about it for a bit, right? right. Knowing God, and I'm not saying knowing about God, personally knowing God, being near to God, is life at its best. You agree? That, that's what Jesus is saying. You know, and I, I question myself. I, um, Question us, Restoration Church. People look at us and go, now that is life at its best. Do you you believe that? Can you get there? you see it? I reckon, I reckon there would be a lot of you that can't see it. You go, yeah, I can hear it. Peter's saying it. I can see it on the screen but you don't like believe it like deep down underneath. Could Jesus be right, could he? Of all the people we should be the most alive right? Of all the people, we should be the most genuinely good, fun people. Of all the people, we should be the ones who are most at peace. Not the most serious. Not the most intense. Knowing God is life at its best. Wonder if you pray with me for a moment, God. So many things can run through our minds as we think about you calling us sheep, and our the risk uh, of being uh, affected badly by danger. Maybe God, there's even some today that have uh, has brought back memories of danger that has affected them. God, you are a God who rolls his sleeves up and gets his hands dirty. You you come, you came in the person of Christ. Get the job done, get it done well, and you provided for the welfare of the sheep, us. And we are very thankful. Those of us who know you, know your provision. We get to celebrate that, participate in uh, remembering that, and just um, say thankful for it. Amen.